Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Again, thank you so much for being here. My name is Philip Muella, and I am the lead pastor at Inspire Church. For those who are guests here, uh, we meet here every Sunday. Again, this is the Crown Plaza, Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday, we call it church. Amen? And so uh, we're just so happy that you are here with us. Uh, I want to start off by just saying that we are about to enter into the Holy Week, Passion Week. Uh, in which Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and he is preparing to die. And then we'll celebrate his resurrection on Easter. And so I'd like to invite those of you in this room today, if you have nothing to do on Friday night or if you're looking for a place to pause, to reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ, I'd like to invite you to come back to the Crown Plaza at 7 p.m. this Friday. We're going to have a time of worship. We'll sing songs. We're going to read scriptures about the cross. And then we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together. And so if you are um, interested or if you are a member or a part of Inspired Church, we'd love for you to come back this Friday as we just take some time to reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ. And then on Sunday, Sunday is Easter Sunday. And even though every Sunday we celebrate our resurrected king, this Sunday, Easter Sunday is always special. And so I'd like to invite you to come back if you don't have a church home and you're looking for a place to celebrate Easter. Uh, if you are a member of Inspired Church, I'd love for you to even consider bringing someone. Uh, I just feel on my heart, we're going to talk about the story of Thomas. And if you remember Thomas, Thomas says, I won't believe it until I see it. And so God's really put something on my heart for those who are doubting, for those who might be skeptics or seekers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I really want to present the gospel in a way that would cause people to move closer to Jesus this Easter. Amen? And so I would love to motivate you not just to be here, but to bring a friend who has questions. And uh, we would love to receive them and just share the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, what I want to do before we get started is uh, I want to kind of take a turn uh, towards something just a little bit more uh, serious. Um, we, all of us this week, have uh, been impacted one way or another um, by the tragedy and the shooting um, in Nashville. Now, before, before I say something about that, I want to say I've been asked a question with so much evil in this world, how do we know when to pray for and what to pray for? I mean, every Sunday I can come up here and take a moment to pray for some kind of war, some kind of gun violence, some kind of evil. It, it, it's it just really difficult to decide what to pray for and when to pray for. Um, but because this is in the collected conscious uh, uh, of, our, of our moments, uh, because uh, this is something right now that I believe uh, our country is, uh, uh, is mourning, uh, I want to not only pray for this, but I want to pray for all of those who have been affected and all those um, who are really dealing with, even in this room, the question of if God is good, why does evil exist like this? And so this morning, if you would just give me a moment, I'd like to remember the victims I'd like to pray for the victims' families, and I would like to pray a prayer, not just over Nashville and Covenant School, but over all of those 
who have been impacted, who have been hurt and harmed by evil uh, in this world. So Heavenly Father, we pause. And sometimes we don't have an answer as to why things happen. But all we know is that we can lean on you. Holy Spirit, would you comfort the grieving? And sometimes we could feel so far away from things. Sometimes we could be so desensitized to things. But in this moment, we lift them up to you, God. Teachers, children that were lost, parents, family members this morning that are waking up experiencing deep and profound grief, the type of grief that no word of encouragement can console, but only the presence of the Holy Spirit. Would you comfort them? And God, I pray for our country. Lord, I pray for there are evils and injustices happening every day, things that we don't know about, things that we don't see, things that aren't on the news cycle, God, but you see it all. You are a good God and you are a just God and you will deal with evil, Father. And so, Lord, I just pray at the very least that Inspire Church and those that call this church home would commit to be salt and light in a world full of darkness. Help us to love and help us to bring the love of Jesus everywhere we go so that evil would be pulled back in our city. Evil would be held back in our region, in the Bay Area. Lord, I pray, God, that this would be a church of light that would shine in dark places, God. Lord, we just ask in this time where words are hard to come by, that you would move, that you would move, even in the silence, that you would move. And so, Father, I just pray this morning for comfort and peace. And I pray ultimately, God, that somehow, some way, we don't understand it, but you would still receive glory and honor and praise, Jesus. Because you are the one who ultimately dealt with evil on the cross. And so we honor you this morning. We remember those that were lost this morning. And we lift up those who are being affected and grieving this morning, God. And we ask, Lord God, that you would be with them, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning... We are going to reflect on an event that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to reflect on an event that took place five days before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and one week before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have if you're a churchy person, <laughs> if you have gone to church, if church is part of your tradition, you may already know what we're going to talk about. In fact, you can probably go to a lot of churches this morning and they will all be talking about the same thing. Because traditionally, what we commemorate, what we celebrate today, seven days before Easter Sunday, is Palm Sunday. 
And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open to Matthew 21. We'll also have it for you here on the screens. Matthew 21, and we are going to read verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Feel free to even search your Bible apps. Um, I would love for you to read along as I read to you. Now, let me give you just a little bit of a side note. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't going to preach until about Thursday evening. And so uh, I had my week planned out. Uh, I had my projects and my strategies ready to go. And then I got a phone call and our dear Pastor Roger and Becca are feeling very sick. And so I want to keep them in our prayers. Um, uh, but I also want to let you know that I did not plan on preaching. And for those of you who know, uh, when I preach, I study. It takes a long time during the week. And so what usually is at about a 20-hour studying, I had to cram. And so today, uh, if I get a little crazy, just know uh, I, I, I'm going to be going off the cuff a little bit, but I'll make sure I get you in time, get you out of here in time for lunch. Amen? Yeah. We got a quiet crowd, but I love y'all anyway. Amen? Thank you. I feel a little bit better. I appreciate that. Matthew 21. Some of you are like, I wonder where he's going to go. And my wife's not sitting here. She typically is staring at me and telling me, hey, you got to get back onto it. But we are going to, we're just, I'll kind of look at the front row here and you guys can give me the eyes. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. Uh, we are going to be talking about the triumphal entry uh, or what Christians have traditionally called and we celebrate Palm Sunday. And so the scripture reads like this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, <clears throat> then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. So just in case you thought Jesus was stealing, that is not taking place. And he will send them at once. Now, verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, uh, and put on them their cloaks on the road, and he sat on them. So they're laying their cloaks, their jackets, on top of the donkey, and then Jesus is sitting on top of their jackets on the donkey. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. So now we see crowds placing their coats on the road. I don't know about you, but there's not a jacket in my wardrobe that I'd want a donkey to walk over. Uh, but here it's happening. They brought the donkey. Donkey and colt, and put on them their cloaks on the road, and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches. This is where we get Palm Sunday from palms from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse nine, and the crowds that went before him, so there were people in front, and the crowds that went uh, that followed him, so there were people behind him, began shouting. They were shouting, and what were they saying? Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, and I want you to pay attention, who is this? 
The whole city was stirred up when Jesus came in, and they began to say, who is this? Finally, verse 11, and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We're going to journey through the text this morning, and I just hopefully, by the time you leave out of here, you're able to understand this story and able to apply it to your life today. And so the first thing that I want to analyze, the first phrase that I want to look at from the story is the question, who is this? Who is this? Jesus riding in on a donkey, crowds before him, crowds behind him, people laying their robe, their cloaks, their, their jackets on the ground, waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna. People are being stirred and they're asking the question, who is this? Now, I want to say this this morning, inevitably, whether you're in this room today and you're an atheist and you just came because someone invited you and you're doing someone a solid, or you're agnostic and so you're really unsure if there's God or there's not, or maybe you're another religion, I want you to know this, all of us in this room, no matter our background, our religion, we will all have to answer this question, when we are confronted with the life of Jesus, who is this? Who is Jesus to you? Do you know him? Now, I want you to know that anytime this question, who is this, is in the text when you're reading the Bible, uh, it's always one of my favorite questions to find. It's always hidden in the biblical author's narration of a story. And so let me tell you what the author is trying to do. You see, this is the author or the narrator's way of saying that something significant is about to take place. And as we read the story, it's going to be up to you and me. It's going to be up to you and I to take bits and pieces from the story and to begin to put them together like a puzzle so that at the end of the puzzle, you'll be able to see the identity of Jesus clearly. When the author says, who is this? He wants you to investigate the story so that you can have an understanding of who Jesus is. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, I want you to know, Back then and today, everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Even no opinion is an opinion. Everyone has speculated and everyone has arrived to their own conclusions. No doubt everyone in this room has a conclusion about who you think Jesus is. But what's about to happen, I believe today and in this story, uh, is that those conclusions and those opinions are going to be confronted and going to be turned upside down. Because I want you to know, this is what Jesus does. Whenever you read about Jesus, whenever you hear Jesus preach or teach, whenever you look at his words, I want you to know that this is what Jesus does. He turns your understanding of who he is upside down. He's not what you expected. This is what Jesus does. And I want you to know this this morning, Jesus will not conform to your box. He'll not conform to my box. And so if you're here today expecting me to preach a Jesus that may conform to who you think it is, I want you to be ready because today's message might turn things upside down. You see, you think you know him, but you have no idea. That's the point of this story. So, so who is this? Who is this person turning Jerusalem upside down? I want you to keep this question in mind for yourself today. Like the crowds gathering in Jerusalem on that day, 
No doubt all of us gathering at Inspire today have brought with us our own opinions, our own understandings, and our own ideas about who Jesus is. But can I just say this? And I, you know, this might be your first time ever in church. I don't like picking on you. I like to pick on the people that have been in church for a very long time. So you think you know. But I want you to know that you don't know. And so whether you've been in church for one day or 30 years, I want you to expect the unexpected about Jesus this morning. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. And so we move from who is this to verse 1 as we jump into the context of the story. Verse 1 in its introduction simply tells us this, that they were drawing near to Jerusalem. Jesus and his band of merry men and women were coming to Jerusalem. They were drawing close to Jerusalem. Now, let me just give you a little understanding of Jerusalem. Now, ordinarily, Jerusalem's population hovered around 40,000 people during the time of Christ. But this was no typical ordinary day. Why? Well, because Jesus entered the city during the week of the Passover festival. Now, what does that matter? You see, it was one of the nation's most epic celebrations. The Passover is one of the most important celebrations, and Jews from all over the world will pilgrimage back to Jerusalem during this seven-day festival, with some historians estimating that the city during the Passover festival swelled more than six times its general population. Some even suggest that there might have been over a million people in Jerusalem on the day that Jesus rode in. Now, can I just tell you, this caused some tension. I want you to know that there was some political tension at the time. And how many of you know, if you live in our country, you, are, you understand political tension? Yeah. You see, let me explain to you the political tension in this moment. Rome was the dominant world power of the day. They had a vast empire. And of all the regions that were under Roman control, it was this region of Palestine that gave them the most headache. You might ask why. Because it was the Jews who refused to conform to the Roman ideal. And, they, and that was visible through their refusal to actually worship Caesar as God. And so this particular region, though small, gave Rome headaches. This is why, and many of you will know the name Pontius Pilate, if you understand Easter, Pontius Pilate will come into play. He was the governor of this region. He was Rome's bulldog. He was Rome's enforcer. And so why do you think he was stationed in this region? Because this region gave Rome headaches. Are you with me? And so during this week, especially during Passover, it was especially intense and worrisome for Rome. I want you guys to think about it. More than a million Jews gathered in one place celebrating a Passover celebration. And you know what Passover is the celebration of? Passover is the celebration of a time where they were delivered from a world power by God. Can you see why this would be especially worrisome for Rome? More than a million Jews gathered together in one place to remember the time they were delivered from the bondage of one of the world's greatest superpowers, Egypt. The last thing Rome wanted was for the Jews to throw down a couple of drinks and get a little, get a little courage. They didn't want them to get any ideas. They didn't want them to start a revolt. 
And so I want you to think about it. Think about the night before a controversial ruling in America. Or think about the night before an inauguration. What do we see? Police presence is increased. Riot gear is brought out. Curfews are enforced. Roads are blocked. Tensions are high. Are you with me? And so during the Passover, guess what? Rome was ready. Rome was ready. Let me, let me explain to you what happened during Passover. A little history. For those of you that don't like history, I apologize. During Passover, Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor over that region, he would leave his headquarters in Caesarea, and he would make his way to Jerusalem. So the bulldog was coming to Jerusalem. He would make his way in Jerusalem. Here's what he would enter Jerusalem from the west. Now, I want you to see this. Pilate would make sure that his arrival was seen, heard, and felt. What do I mean by that? Pilate would enter into Jerusalem with a military entourage. And he had all the bells and whistles to make sure that those in the city knew that he was in control. Are you with me? Pilate and his entourage would have a great show of force. It was almost like a military parade. Pilate would come in with military personnel, trumpets blaring, banners of Rome, pronouncements. Pilate himself would come riding into the city on a white stallion, a war horse, symbolizing Rome's might and military conquest. And here's what Pilate was doing. Pilate's display of superiority could be heard from miles away as his message to the Jews in Jerusalem during the Passover week was clear. Don't even think about it. Don't think about it. Don't get out of hand. Don't get any crazy ideas. Don't even whisper revolt because Rome will crush you. Now, I want you to know it's with that in mind that Jesus grabs a donkey and says, let's ride. <laughs> Russell Wilson. It's with that in mind that Jesus says, it's go time. And so I want to move on from drawing near to Jerusalem. And so you understand the conditions of this time to verse 5, where we're told in the prophecy that behold, your king is coming to you. Now, I've preached this message before. In fact, you can ask Pastor Roger. I've told him I never want to preach Palm Sunday again because I feel like I preach the same thing every year. And so Pastor Roger, in the last couple of years, has preached Palm Sunday, except for this week, got a little sick. And so here I am preaching a sermon that I did not, I just don't want to repeat, right? I feel like I've done this so many times. Now, I don't know why, I think it's more pride, because I think repetition is the mother of all learning, and you guys probably forget anyway, right? Like, you put all this work into preaching, and it probably takes two days for you to be like, yeah, I'm not sure what he said. <laughs> you laughed, dude, that's a one joke you laughed at. Yes, you agree. Um, and so typically, I'm preaching this same sermon about Jesus on a donkey, right? Like out of all of the things a king could have wrote in on, he wrote in on a donkey. And so I'm always struck by Jesus' humility, and I preach that every year. In fact, all of my past Palm Sundays all reflect and focus on that. But I was re-looking this year, and I've been captivated not just by his humility, and I hope you guys can stay with me here. 
I've been captivated by Jesus's intentionality. Let me explain what I mean. And I, I hope you would be captivated by this as well. As I was rereading the text, I realized that Jesus is strategic and premeditated. Now, for me, that kind of blew me away. Jesus was strategic and premeditated. From the day of the week to the donkey, there was nothing coincidental or accident about what Jesus was doing in this moment. And I want you to think about this. I typically highlight the fact that Jesus is a humble king. What do you think, when you think of humility, what do you see? What do you think about? There are a lot of things that I think of when I think humility. But as I think of Jesus' intentionality, I realize that there are some things about his humility and some incorrect ways that I perceive humility that might get in the way of who Jesus really is. And so I want you to know, number one, he's a humble king, but he is not a hidden king. Because a lot of times we think humility, right? It's just like, well, that's not me. You know, I'm going to shy away, right? But in this moment of intentionality, he is a humble king, but he is no longer a hidden, hidden king. You see, the moment he made the decision to enter into the city riding on a donkey was the moment he made the decision that it was time to put everyone on notice, you see, there were times, and some of you scholars in the room, theologians in the room might be questioning, yes, there were times in Jesus' ministry where he had performed miracles and he instructed his disciples and those who were healed not to tell anybody. Y'all remember that? He would say, don't tell anybody. You ever like, man, why ain't they telling people? But it wasn't his time yet. In fact, if they would have started to spread the rumor, which it started to spread anyways, but if people would have began telling, then it would have actually caused them to crucify him earlier. It wasn't his time yet. And so Jesus would perform miracles. He would do mighty acts, but he would often say, do not say a word. And as I read the text, I'm like, why not tell everybody? But it wasn't his time. Are you with me? But now, standing before the holy city, preparing to enter in, his time had come. So he prepares himself, and he prepares himself with a donkey. And some of you might say, well, what is a donkey? Why, what, what is a donkey? Like, what does that have to do with anything? How is that making him, how is that uh, saying anything to anybody? Well, because you and I, we weren't first century Jews. Standing before the holy city, he was getting ready to enter in, and he prepares for himself a donkey, fully knowing and fully expecting to see that the crowd, they would immediately recognize what he was doing. You see, if you were a Jew, you would know exactly what Jesus was doing, because when he sat on a donkey and he rode into Jerusalem, he was fulfilling a prophecy that all the Jews knew about. Let me show you, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Look at what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, what does it say? Your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, and what does it say? And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. 
And so when Jesus said, go get a donkey and bring that donkey to me, I want you to know he wasn't tired. Jesus walked everywhere. In fact, if you read the Bible, he's never riding anything. He's always walking. But in this moment, he's intentional. And he's not just intentional about riding in the city because he's tired, but he's intentional about finding a donkey because he knows that when he rides into the city on a donkey on that day, that immediately those who are witnessing are going to think of this prophecy. How do we know that people even understood? Well, look at the crowds because they responded with joy at the arrival of their king. They spread their cloaks on the ground, which is a sign of royalty. They were laying out a red carpet. Their king was finally coming. They were putting leafy palm branches that created royalty. I want you to know they shouted on the streets, Hosanna. They called him the son of David. All of these things mean nothing to you as an American. But to a first century Jew, they all had prophetic significance that meant that this man coming in was the Messiah. He was Israel's king. He was one that the scriptures told would come. He would bring eternal peace, everlasting joy. Yes, the donkey symbolized humility. What a humble beast. (laughs) But it also declared authority. This was no accident. To ride into Jerusalem on a donkey was Jesus saying, I'm him. I'm that guy. You're not that guy. Yes, I'm that guy. I am the one your prophets have been promising. How's that for humility? I am the fulfillment of thousands of years of scripture. The one that you have been waiting for, I'm him. Yes, I'm a humble king, but I'm not a secret or a hidden king. Number two, he is a humble king, but he's not a subtle king. He's not a subtle king. (laughs) Jesus couldn't chose a better day to come in. Think about it. The week of Passover guaranteed maximum exposure. Are you with me? With over a million Jews from all over the known world crammed into the city, Jesus knew that his public declaration of kingship would receive all the attention. And he'd be trending on Jewish Twitter. Amen? Jesus knew. Jesus picked this day. This wasn't an accident or a coincidence. He picked the donkey. He rode into Jerusalem, and he did it on a day where he had maximum exposure. Are you with me? And there's something else I want you to notice. I want you to notice that Jesus is a subversive savior. Listen to what one commentator put, and we'll have it for you here on the screen. The Passover crowds in Jerusalem were like a powder keg ready to spark, filled to the brim with both messianic fervor and hatred for Roman rule. Are you with me? And so Jesus on a donkey declaring that he's the one, Neo, he's the one, riding into Jerusalem as people are calling him Messiah, and he's doing it. Not on a day when nobody's in town, but he's doing it when everyone is in town. He's doing it when there was over a million Jews from all over the world crammed in. Are you with me? He's a humble king, but he's not a subtle king. Verse 10 tells us that when he entered Jerusalem on his donkey, the whole city was stirred. And that word stirred just stuck out to me. 
It's the, the Greek word for stirred is actually where we get the English word seismic. Seismic refers to a kind of rumbling and shaking produced by an earthquake. I remember a long time ago, I went to a 49er playoff game and Terrell Owens caught the winning touchdown against the Green Bay Packers. And I'll never forget the stick, candlestick, rumbled and shaked for about two hours after the game. It was incredible. I got so excited, and I'm a Niner fan. I got so excited. And in fact, the way that I got in was uh, my high school was just there to help with the concessions, but I didn't do that at all. I was watching the game. <laughs> and the, I'll never forget, praise God for the usher. He was like, I get it. And I was just standing right next to him watching that last final drive. And I remember after the game was over, there was the whole stadium was shaking, rumbling. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And I remember even after the game, the crowds were still, they refused to leave. It was such a huge victory. And an hour, two hours, you could still, as you're walking out, you could still feel everything shaking. Now imagine Jerusalem, seismic, stirred. The Messiah has come. The king is here. He's a humble king, but he's not a subtle king. Now, a little food for thought. You guys are doing great. I've been intrigued by this question the past few days. I've actually been thinking about this the past few days. In fact, someone else posed it to me. and It's just been really interesting. Was this moment, was this triumphal entry, as it called, a protest or a parade? I'm going to go off on a tangent, but I promise we'll come right back. Now, traditionally, we treat Palm Sunday like a parade, don't we? I mean, if you've been to like a traditional church, right, uh, uh, uh. We get palms when we walk in. We wave them. We say, we shout Hosanna. We sing songs of praise. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? That's maybe where I came from. We were jumping. Like, we looked really weird. Kind of cultish, right? Okay. Right? And, and I don't know if you've ever been. A, it's a beautiful experience. There's nothing wrong with it. But for someone who had no idea what we're doing, they're like, what's going on in there? What's going on? Security? Now, traditionally, we treat it like a parade. And you think about a parade. A parade is full of joy, isn't it? A parade is celebratory, isn't it? But a protest is filled with anger. Frustration. Think about a protest. It's not a celebratory act. It's a subversive act. It's an act of defiance. Are you with me? It's a visible expression of outrage or disapproval. And reflecting on this, I think this is a little bit of both. I think this is a little bit of both. I think there's joy. I think there's excitement. But I also think there's anger. To some of you religious folks, you're not going to like this, but oh well. It totally blew my mind. It totally blew my mind about our Savior, Jesus, our King. The King that I thought I knew. That this city is literally shaking, rumbling. Some folks are overjoyed at the Messiah. And some folks have deep hatred toward the Roman oppression. Rome oppressed Judea. Rome oppressed Israel. Rome oppressed Rome was an empire that dominated through force, through murder. 
not only were there people in the crowd that were excited to see the Messiah, but there were people in the crowd that hated Rome. And this really blew me away. This city is literally shaking, and Jesus isn't stopping it. In fact, he's inciting it. Yeah, I know some of you don't like that. That's not the Jesus we're used to. Like the turn the other cheek, Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you have this idea of this passive savior. This is not just the king of the parade, but the king of the protest. He's not a silent savior who turns a blind eye to injustice and corruption. He's also a subversive savior, disrupting oppressive systems and institutions and promising something radically better and different. Y'all don't hear me though. Religious folks, we like to parade Jesus. Like, let's just make it all nice, right? Let's just, it's, everything's nice. Joy, no, no, don't do that. But, but there's also the protest Jesus. Finally, our humble king is not just a subtle king. Or it is no longer a subtle king, but he is a humble king. But he's not a passive king. Amen? We don't serve a passive king. We don't serve a passive king. You might think we serve a passive king, but we don't serve a passive king. You see, during Passover, Pilate and his show of force entered the city from the west. Y'all remember that? He made it clear as he marched into Jerusalem with his soldiers, his trumpets, and his war horse that Rome would not tolerate any dissenters, that Rome would crush any signs of rebellion. Are you with me? Yet here was Jesus riding into the city from the east. You imagine that? Rome from the west, the kingdom of heaven from the east. Two kingdoms colliding. From the west, the empire. From the east, the kingdom. Pilate on his war horse. Jesus on his donkey. Pilate with his soldiers. Jesus with his ragtag disciples. Pilate instilling fear, Jesus declaring favor. Pilate intent on crushing rebellion, Jesus intent on laying his life down for rebellious sinners like you and me. Two kingdoms colliding, the kingdom of heaven and the empire of Rome, the kingdoms of this world. One kingdom intent on crushing rebellion. One king intent on laying his life down for our rebellion. Are you with me? Yeah. Jesus, humble yet confrontational. Jesus, not a passive king, but a disruptor, a confronter, and a subversive savior. Who is this? Who is this? On this day, Jesus forced Jerusalem to decide if they were going to crown him or kill him. This day sets in motion the next several days that will lead to his crucifixion. On this day, when Jesus entered in, the humble king forced Jerusalem to decide if they were crowning him or killing him. 
The Jews had to decide. The disciples had to decide. The Romans had to decide. And this morning, you have to decide. Are you hearing me? Every one of you trapped in this room, <laughs> you are hearing a story about the life of Jesus. And the question, who is him? Who is he? Is being asked to you right now. And you have to decide, will you crown him or will you kill him? You know, you can't say Jesus is a good man. You want to know why? Because there's some people, Jesus is just a good man. You can't say that. Because if you called him a good man, you'd be calling him a good man who's also a liar. Because Jesus walked in that day declaring himself to be the king and the Messiah. How could a good man be such a fraud, a manipulator, and a liar? You either king him or you kill him. There's no middle. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. C.S. Lewis said that. You have to decide. But he's not a good man. I want you to listen. And we're getting ready to dismiss. You guys have been doing great. Whether it's a city or a human heart. Y'all hear me? Whether it's a city or a human heart, whenever Jesus enters in, he threatens to flip it upside down. Y'all with me? Whether it's a city or your heart, Whenever Jesus enters in, he threatens to turn things upside down. <laughs> His person can't help but create seismic shifts in cities. And his person can't help but create seismic shifts in your heart and your mind. Now, you can choose to ignore him because sometimes that's what, man, when there's such a huge decision to make or such a, a, a tense moment, it's like, well, I'm just going to kind of like... I think that's what our culture, some of us do, right? It's like, man, Jesus, I just, I want to avoid that question. It's too heavy. He creates seismic shifts. And the question is, will you crown him or will you kill him? And, and I think, and here's how I want to land it. Here, here's what's concerning from the story, okay? Here's what's been heavy on my heart all morning this morning. This has really been heavy on my heart. I fear many of you, many of us, we think we know him, but we really have no idea. That's my fear, especially in a like westernized culture, right? Where again, Christianity, not everyone, you know, we're starting to see the rise of secularism. And back in the day, maybe we could say that, you know, we were 60, 70% Christian. Like it's no longer that, but there's still a lot of cultural Christians. Like, how do you know you're a cultural Christian? Like when you mark Christian, like in an application or on Facebook, I don't think anybody's on Facebook anymore. I mean, you're, you're under 40. Sorry about that. But here's my fear. I fear many of us, we think we know him, but we really have no idea. And here's why, because it is possible to welcome him. Are you with me? It is possible to lay down a red carpet upon his arrival. It's possible to raise your hands and sing praises, to give him words of affirmation. It's possible to do all that 
and completely get him wrong. I'm speaking to you, person who's been in church. It's possible for you to come in every week. It's possible for church just to become a, a, a country club. Lift your hands, raise. You know all the motions. You know all the songs. It is possible for you to lay down the red carpet and declare his praises and to completely miss the Messiah. How is this possible? Because you may be welcoming a Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of Scripture. You, be, you may be welcoming a kind of Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Are you with me? It's the Jesus you've created in your own image. It's not the subversive Savior of the text that confronts your idols. It's not the subversive Savior of the text that calls you to repent of your sins and all your selfish expectations. You see, that's the Jesus you kill. But the one that you receive... The one that you are currently crowning is a passive king. We all like a passive king. Because you know what that means? That means that I can be king. You see, a passive king doesn't assert his authority or demand loyalty. A passive king rules from behind and allows us to make the decisions that we want to make. In fact, a passive king is not a king at all. Somebody like, man, I came to church on the wrong day. The one you might be currently crowning is a passive king, a subtle king, a quiet king, a hidden king, one that does not confront or correct, one that does not call for true repentance. You're not looking for a conquering king who establishes his kingdom. You want a king that allows you to establish your own kingdom. So I want to invite you to take inventory as we are going to just finish with just a brief declaration of his kingship and then I'm going to pray. How do you know that you've received the true king? Let me just ask you a few questions. Has your life been turned upside down? Has there been seismic shifts in your heart and your mind? Has your idols your desires, have you submitted them before the Lord? Is he in full control? Are your desires changing? Are you growing in love? Are you hating the sin that you used to love? And are you loving the righteousness that you used to hate? I'm not saying perfection. All of us sin, all of us fall, all of us fail, but I'm saying sanctification. Are you growing in love? Are you desiring him? Are you repenting of your sin and believing in the gospel? Who is this? And once you know who he truly is, the next question is, will you crown him or will you kill him? Lord, Holy Spirit, you do the work. I can't convert. I can't transform. We can't do it in our own strength. Only you can do it, Jesus. So, Lord, I know there are so many things that are wrestling for our attention, our careers, 
our life, our relationships, our children, it seems so overwhelming. And sometimes, Jesus, you can just kind of fit in behind the scenes. But God, I just pray, Lord, that this church will be a church that puts Jesus at the front, the forefront, Lord God, that we lay down our lives like he laid down his life for us. And so I pray as we leave this place this morning, God, that we wouldn't leave your presence, that all week long, the Holy Week, as the crucifixion is coming and the resurrection is coming, Lord God, that we would begin to evaluate our lives and ask, is Jesus King? Is he Lord over everything? So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us this evening, as we, this morning as we leave this place. I pray that we leave this place, we would make a decision to put you first. How do we do that? Not, not by our own works, Lord, by just repenting and believing. What does it mean to repent? Just look at all the things that we put first before you and say, God, I am sorry. Have your way. Give me strength. I lay them down, and sometimes I pick them back up again. But Jesus, I want to put you first. And believing in the good news that on the cross you nailed my sins, you nailed my idols, even though I fall and fail, you died on my behalf. And not only did you nail my sins to that tree, but then you gave me your righteousness so that if I would repent and believe, I would be walking in the righteousness of Christ. So God, I pray that we would repent and we would believe and that you would become Lord and King of our lives. Be with us as we leave this place. And we're careful to give you all honor. We're careful to give you all glory and all praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, church. Let's give Jesus a praise. We love you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. God bless. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.